0: So this evening, we are resuming our study in the book of Galatians, and tonight we are talking specifically about how to respond to truth that hurts. Now to get us going in the right direction on this, I've got an initial statement, and I'm going to share a story, and then I've got a couple of questions for you. So here is this initial statement. It's kind of our key statement that we're working with this evening, and that is how you respond to truth determines if you continue to receive truth. How you respond to truth determines if you continue to receive truth. Now let's chase that idea with a Bible story for just a moment. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there is an extremely awkward story between King David and Nathan the prophet. You all might remember the story. Here's basically what's happening. God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David in his sin. And David knew Nathan and David respected Nathan, but David had no idea that Nathan was going to confront him until the truth was right there in his face. And here's how that story went down. Nathan tells David about a rich man and a poor man. He gives him a story. He says there's this rich man who has hundreds of cattle and livestock. And then there's a poor man who only has this one little tiny lamb. And this lamb was so precious to the poor man that he literally fed it from his own plate. And he cuddled with this lamb. And this lamb was with his children. In fact, the text even tells us the lamb was like a daughter to this poor man. And as the story goes, the rich man had a guest drop by unexpectedly. But instead of him going out and killing one of his hundreds of livestock, he goes over and he kills the poor man's one little lamb and he prepares it and he serves it to his guests to eat. And when David heard that part of the story, the Bible says David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David is mad. He is enraged. He understood that that type of a crime, that type of an offense is something that needed to have restitution made for it. He even said this man deserved death for what he did to that poor man's lamb. Now what David did not expect was Nathan's next comment. He said, you are the man. Now that's not in the encouraging sense, like, you the man. (laughs) This is, you are the man, like the one who is the offender. You are the one that you just said is worthy of death. That's you in this particular story. And in this moment, Nathan then unpacks a little bit more about what that means. He, he helped him see that David was rich. He had multiple wives, but his lust for more caused him to go and to take Uriah's one wife by the name of Bathsheba and sleep with her and fathered a child with her. And in that moment, to cover his sin, he had Uriah positioned in a place in battle to be sure that he would actually die in battle. It was a cowardly thing to do. It was a sinful thing for him to do and Nathan exposed David's sin and pronounced God's judgment on that sin David's wives would do to others and go to others and do the things that David did in private it would now become public and then at the same time Nathan said because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born to you shall surely die Our David's world is rocked at this point. He went from a simple conversation with someone that he respected to being enraged over another man's sin only to find out he was the other man now confronted in his own sin and then hearing God's judgment for that sin. There was a lot that happened to David in a short period of time. Now as king... He could have executed Nathan for what he did. As king, he could have said, you mind your own business. What I'm doing is my business. This is my life. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. He could have denied it. He could have deflected. He could have said, you just don't understand what's going on in my life. He could have done a number of other things, but David's response was incredible. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. He admitted his fault, recognized his sin, and began down the path of repentance. How you respond to truth determines if you continue to receive truth. If David killed Nathan for confronting him with sin, do you think anybody else would have ever confronted David with his sin? Had David deflected, had David said, it's not my fault, Had David denied it, had he tried to cast blame on somebody else, do you think others would be encouraged to come up and to speak into his life? Or would they begin to say, he's not going to listen. I can tell you this is what he did the last time that happened. How you respond to truth determines if you continue to receive truth. Those who respond to truth well will have more truth shared with them. But listen to this. Those who reject truth, or they react poorly, they will find that people will allow them to live in the delusion of their own making. They find themselves walking alone. So here's an important question for every single person in the room. How do you respond to truth that hurts? Personally speaking, How do you respond to truth that hurts? Jesus gave this incredible statement. He said, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And there's a part of truth that does exactly that. It frees people to experience reality. It frees people to experience growth. It frees people to be able to live in the light and not keep their sins in darkness. It frees the person. If you've ever had somebody love you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts, you'll recognize what they did was the most loving thing they could possibly do, even when it's painful. As parents, we should be like professionals at this. A part of our job is speaking truth into our children's lives. But one of the ways that we have a foundation for doing that is because we're sharing the truths of God's word and we're living God's word by an example. So today in our study of Galatians, we find ourselves in a place where the Apostle Paul is sharing truth with people that they don't want to hear. And they're not responding well. And he's trying to draw out of them, why are you upset? What about this is offensive you. He, he's trying to help them engage and grapple with hard truths, but there's some great stuff that we can learn in this text that is applicable for all of us. Let me give you a couple of ways the context works out here. If you sit with God in the Word, guess what's going to happen? He's going to confront you with some truth that hurts. How you respond to that is going to determine if you continue to receive truth. See, so here's what happens sometimes. We get in the Word, and God is all over us. It's like he just read your mail. He's thinking your thoughts. He's, he's showing you what's going on. And here's what's so easy to do. I don't like that. We shut it, and we move on. Or then you got those really encouraging times where you get along with God in the Word, and it's like it's encouraging, and it's feeding you, and you're excited. And you're like, man, I feel great. And you're, you're like puts in like, post out on Twitter, like, this is what God showed me. It's easy to go back to the Word the next day and spend time with God. But when He gets all over you, sometimes you're like, well, maybe I need to start work a little early this morning. Or maybe there's a good Christian book I can pick up and start reading. What we do is we start to run from the truth. We need truth spoken into our life. So tonight... I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians 4, we're going to be sitting over in a text in verses 12 through 20. Tonight, for sake of time, I'm just going to encourage you to keep your Bible open to this particular text. As we go through the section, I am going to... I guess highlight some different pieces. I'm going to draw your attention to those. We're going to read that section as we work our way through it. But I'm speaking tonight on the subject of when truth hurts. So, uh, and if you're like me, this is not exactly a topic that you enjoy dealing with right now. So, it seems like a good time to pray. Let's pray at this point. Heavenly Father, tonight, from the very beginning, God, we know it's not going to be a comfortable topic, but it's a needed one. So, Lord, Allow our hearts to be open. Allow us to receive this in a personal way. Lord, where it is in our lives that you're speaking these truths to us, God, may it be so unbelievably clear for each person who is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get into the text itself, I'm going to give, I guess, a couple of thoughts to kind of get things going. Because if you're talking about how do you respond to truth that hurts, Sometimes this can be the time that people say to themselves, well, I only speak truth to people, and they just can't handle the truth. That's why they don't like to see me come around. So let's kind of go ahead and settle that for just a moment. Uh, First, all confrontation is not about truth. Sometimes it's about preference. Sometimes it's just a sinful outburst of anger sometimes it's (laughs) I'm right all right thanks sometimes it's just two people arguing and neither one of them's right truth isn't on either side they're both coming from a position of falsehood and by the way this is definitely one of those moments that we need to be very very clear there is what's called truth not your truth not my truth there's truth That's one of the wonderful things about truth, it is objective, and by the way, Jesus says, my word is truth, John 17. So here's another thought. Truth doesn't have to be personally directed to be personally offensive. Now you know when somebody comes at you and they say something that's offensive. They, they call out your actions. They call out your attitude. They, they call out your character. They, they might call out your outfit. They're like, I don't like that outfit, or I don't like those shoes. You're like, I, I don't like you, and you can get offended quick. Like, if, if you recognize it's towards you, it's easy to quickly pick up an offense. But we can pick up offenses at other times, and it's not directed towards us. We just happen to be in proximity when it's going on. For example you might hear a message. (laughs) That can be offensive. I promise. I'm just preaching in general right there. It's kind of like it hits different people in different ways. It it might possibly be that in your life you're, you're maybe reading an article and you just don't like the perspective of the person who wrote that article and you could pick up an offense towards it. Sometimes you can pick up an offense towards people who just simply have different beliefs than you as a whole. It's easy to pick up an offense. An offense does not have to be personally directed towards you to still be offensive to you. Here's the third on that. The nature of relationships means that distance often accompanies offense. When we're hurt or when we're offended, the natural response is to distance ourselves from the person that has offended us. We don't like to go to the same place that they're going to. If you know they're always hanging out down at the Walmart, you go shopping at Target because you're like, I don't even want to run into that particular person. If you do run into them, you're dodging behind the different aisles. You don't want to keep eye contact. You, you don't want to do something in order to engage conversation. There's something about an offense that begins to drive a wedge and it separates people. Distance accompanies offense. Now Here's just some things that I've found. And Again, I, I promise I try to give all the preliminary stuff I can up front so that Lord willing, when we get into the text, hopefully we have kind of taken out a lot of the minds before we get into the word. So you can call these Paul's Proverbs. You can call it a pile of hooey for that matter. I don't care. Just here's some things I've learned over the years. And by the way, as a pastor and as a counselor, I've sat down many times with people as they're working through some stuff. So here's just some things that I've learned it's possible for a person to be sincere in their beliefs and be sincerely wrong. (laughs) Sincerity is not the standard of truth. And there is nothing worse than realizing you have passionately argued the wrong side of an issue. Just a thought. Also, even harsh critiques, there is usually an element of truth that we would need to listen to. Uh, Treat all confrontation like you're eating fried chicken. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. There's probably going to be something that you you want to listen to for just a moment. Uh, Also, if we continue to distance ourselves from everyone that we disagree with, we will be alone. (laughs) Hey, this is a funny thing for me. Like there's times that I go back and read things that I wrote seven years ago, and I don't agree with myself. <laughs> like, what what happens when you distance yourself from everyone you disagree with? And you're like, I don't even trust myself from seven years ago. Like, walk in wisdom here. Claude Bernard once said, "It's what we think we already know that prevents us from learning, even if you think you know it." It's often good to just sit and to listen. So, I want to focus this text on some ideas as far as as how it is we work through those hard truths, difficult conversations. So I want to draw your attention for just a moment. Look in your Bibles there, Galatians chapter 4, down in verse number 12. Notice what he says. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. Let's just pause here for just a moment. The whole first part of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians is one where he is confrontational, it's very doctrinal, it's somewhat impersonal in a way. Starting now in verse number 12, his approach changes. That is, his anger against the Judaizers begins to subside and he now shares nine different verses that have language of affection in here, and this when it begins in the section when he says, I beg of you, brethren. He, he's trying to create this connection piece. Uh, it, you're not my enemy, you're, you're my brother. I beg of you, please listen as I share this. He's not preaching at them at this point. He's pouring out his heart to those that he loves. So what should we remember when receiving truth that hurts? Here, here's the first big truth for the night. Being offended by truth Will change the way we treat people. Just know this from the beginning. Being offended by truth will change the way we treat people. Uh, plain and simple, when you're offended, you're gonna treat that person differently. It's a part of our humanity. You might say, I'm not treating them differently, but you could even act nice to their face and you're still chewing them out in your mind when you walk away. When those offenses get built up inside, you start to treat the person differently. So into verse number 12 through verse 13. Listen to this. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it is because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now, he is referencing his first visit into that region. He reminds him of the circumstances that were happening. He also reminds him of the fact that he was sick at that time. He had a bodily illness. He reminds him of the message that he gave. But he also reminds them of the way that they treated him on that first trip. On the first trip, many of the Jews in in the area of Galatia, they turned against him when they realized his message was also for the Gentiles. You can read about that over in Acts chapter 13 and also in Acts chapter 14. But for those who accepted his message, both Jews and Gentiles, they deeply cared for him. They loved him. As he said, it's like you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. He's saying, do you remember how you treated me the first time I was here? Now, nobody knows the exact illness. There's all sorts of ideas. Some have made an argument the fact it was malaria. Others said it was some type of an eye infection or some other really gross type of a thing. His sickness was really not the issue as much as him pointing out the fact that even when he was sick, he said, you didn't despise me and you also didn't loathe me. Uh, That word despise, it means to count as nothing or to be worthless. The word loathe, it it means to spit upon or to treat with contempt. Instead of counting him as nothing or considering him to be worthless, verse 14 says, you receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Now look at what it says over in verse number 15. This is where the tough part of the dialogue begins. He said, where then is that sense of blessing you had. If you don't think that can be awkward, think about what it would be like to know that you've had a confrontation with someone. And for that person to come and say, man, I just want to share my heart with you. Like we have, we've worshiped God together, we've serve God together. We've studied the word together. We've we've been in groups together. And something's happened along the way. And then the person say, "Where is that sense of blessing you once had for me?" That that word blessing it means happiness, satisfaction, contentedness. He goes on to say, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Here's what he's saying. Why have you changed? What made you go from deep concern to deep contempt for me? Where's the happiness that we once shared? Paul is the same Paul. The gospel is the same gospel. The people are the same people. What actually changed from the first visit to right now? And what he's wanting to do is to get them to understand where the change happened. Here's the only thing that changed. They started listening to the Judaizers. They started shifting their beliefs They started straying from the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. And because of that change, they began treating Paul differently. As a result, they treated him now with disrespect. They challenged his apostolic credentials. They took pride in their religious activities. They rejected both Paul as well as the truth that he shared. Their offense changed the way they treated the apostle Paul in a dramatic way. Fashion. He asked in verse number 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? This text is scary to me. It's a scary text because it shows the destructive and the alluring power of lies. When the enemy begins to lie and twist the truth, it not only changes our view of reality, it changes how we interact with others. That that is a dangerous part. There's something about truth that it has that that sharp edge. It's like when it's based on the word, you know, this is right, this is wrong, but the enemy has a way of beginning to Twist the truth in ways. And by the way, if in the temptation of Christ, if Satan would quote scripture out of context to Jesus, don't think for a moment that your friend that you think that you're battling it out with sometimes has not twisted things out of context. Uh, but watch this. And sometimes so have we. There has to be a humility in how we engage the word, engage truth. Even truths we think we already know are constantly under attack from the enemy. Here's the next one, and this is out of the same section of Scripture. Unguarded truth is susceptible to undetected lies. Unguarded truth is susceptible to undetected lies. Now we have to remember our context. The context is, These are believers he's writing to. These are people who heard the truth, received the truth, started on the path of grace. These are believers that he is talking to. But the issue is they didn't guard the truth they received. They did not immerse themselves in the gospel of Christ. As a result of that, they did not weigh new ideas against established truth. And what happened is they began to veer off the path of truth. If you don't guard the truth that you receive, you can unknowingly begin to drift towards lies. Embracing lies will hurt you, and it hurts those that are around you. So for just a moment, I want to try to connect the truth, our first truth, and our second one with one illustration. So many of you know I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. Grew up on this one little street, Canterbury Circle. This was one of those types of streets where families would come in, they moved in, they, they just settled there. My parents lived in that same house for 35 years, and that was not abnormal in this particular area. It was like people would come in, they purchased a home, they worked hard, they raised their families, they made community together. They just kind of stayed put. That was kind of what happened. And we had some great friends, great neighbors there but some of our best friends lived right across the street. Wonderful friends of the family, wonderful neighbors. When I'm saying like a wonderful neighbor, I'm talking like a neighbor neighbor. I'm talking like people you can count on, neighbor, like people that you can actually go out and you have conversation at the end of the driveway and they find out about your life and about what's going on and they, they know if your, your car is missing for a couple of days and they'll call and find out, like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Can I pick up the mail for you outside? Kind of a neighbor. Like this neighbor, to show you how good of a neighbor, like any guy who's ever done this or any lady who's ever done this, like this guy saw my dad, myself, and my brother re-roofing our own house, showed up over there with a hammer and climbed up on the ladder and started re-roofing our house with us. There's not a lot of people in Savannah, Georgia who can climb a ladder and roof somebody else's house. Neighbor, neighbor. Church friends. They came to Christ at the same church we were a part of. Baptized at the same church that we were a part of. Involved in the same church that we were a part of. Almost 25 years of strong friendship, and then one day it switched, like the light just got turned off. One day they went from engaging to avoiding. They went from waving to they would see us, they would turn around, they'd walk the other direction. It became strange. We were like, what just happened here? If we walked outside, they would walk inside. And we were thinking, have we offended them? We tried to reach out. They didn't want to talk. And we spent a couple of years thinking, what have we done that offended this family? One day, one of their children came over to the house and they shared, Don't be offended by my parents. What they're doing to you, they're doing to everyone, including all of us. So, what happened? Here's what happened. They started watching Armstrong, Armstrongism, on TV. started watching the teachings often referred to as the worldwide church of God. This is a particular group that they go through. They deny the Trinity. They deny the physical resurrection of Christ. They teach that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, They also teach that all Christians have to obey every part of the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And their followers, listen, are taught to distance themselves from anyone who rejects those teachings. Oddly enough, the exact same types of principles the Apostle Paul was addressing at the Church of Galatia Many of those same ones correspond over. New century, new packaging, same old lie. When our neighbors embraced the lies, that offense towards truth changed the way they interacted with anybody around them. This is a family, remember, that professed Christ, baptized, involved in the church. See, that's the thing about the enemy. The enemy is sneaky. The enemy comes when you least suspect it. The enemy will take any small offense and use it to begin to drive a wedge between you and others, between you and community, between you and the word of God, between you and God himself. There's an old statement that goes like this. Satan has many tools at his disposal. But a lie is the handle that fits everyone. Doesn't matter what he's using, there's going to be a lie that's connected to it. Here's the next one. What should we remember when receiving truth that hurts? When the truth hurts, we should prayerfully reflect upon the motivations of those who shared it. If it hurts, pause for just a moment and ask the question, what does this person have to gain by telling me this? If the answer's nothing, I'm probably going to listen a little bit harder. Because it's entirely too easy to say nothing and just not stir up a problem right there. But when somebody is willing, they don't have anything to gain, but they still come in love. They come in compassion. They, they share what's on their heart. When that happens, prayerfully reflect upon the motivations of the one who shared it. Speaking truth and love is not easy. It often is going to result in hurt feelings and accusations and awkward moments. It's far easier to say nothing, but it's not loving to say nothing. All right, so just I'm going to try to add it as much humor as I can here for just a moment. Because it's getting real quiet in here. Okay, so just think about this. Let's say, for example, you got a friend who loves you enough to pull you off to the side. You're hanging out with some others. Pull you off to the side and say, hey, bro, you got your bat in the cave right there. You got a little boogie going on right here. (laughs) Would you rather that person pull you off to the side, and it's going to be offensive in the moment, or do you want to spend the next three hours chatting up with 50 people and your little friend sitting right here? You, you need some people in your life who are just going to say, hey, don't want to be offensive, but, bro, you got a little something right here. Sometimes, spiritually speaking, you need you a friend. Come off to the side and say, hey, bro, you got a little something right here. Like, you, there's some stuff that needs to be dealt with. You, we need that. We, we need those types of friends. It's not loving to watch people live in sin and for us to say nothing. It's not loving to watch people destroy their lives, destroy their futures, destroy their relationships, and us sit off to the side and say, they're just going to have to figure it out for themselves. There's a part of being in the body of Christ that we need to work through some difficult things together. So look at what it says in verses 17 and 18. He helps them to see their motivation as to why they were doing what they were doing. He says, they eagerly seek you Not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. Here's what he's trying to help them see. He wanted them to glorify Christ with their actions. The group of Judaizers wanted them to follow them because it lifted their status, He's like, they, they're, they're seeking you, but not in a commendable way. It's not that they care about you. It's not that they love you. They're, they're not speaking something into your life to help you. It's that if you follow them, they look better on the other side. Verses 19 and 20. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Remember, there's a tenderness in his language here. He's speaking like a mom. He he addresses these believers as my children, but notice this next line, with whom I am again in labor. Now, this is a strange statement right here. Uh, Here it is. This moment is one. it's normal for a woman to go through labor when she gives birth to a child. That's that's life. It is not normal to have labor to birth the same child twice. He says, I'm in labor again for you. It's like you're acting like you're lost. It's like you're acting like you don't understand grace. He says, I- I'm laboring again with you. And then he's, he uses this phrase, until Christ is formed in you. this this is beautiful. If you'll remember this last week, we talked about how it is that we define spiritual maturity and some might define it by knowledge or actions or activism and I made the argument last week that we need to define maturity in Christ by transformation into the character of Christ. That's exactly what he is describing in this moment. In fact, this idea of being formed in you is an idea of, it speaks of essential form rather than outward shape. It refers to inward word growth or character change. He's like, I'm going to labor with you until I see Christ formed on the inside. Until his character is your character. Until when you look in the mirror, it's the reflection of Christ. Like He's saying, I'm going to keep on laboring. By the way, that's a good friend who's not going to run away when things get hard, but saying even if it seems abnormal that I'm in labor twice for you, I'll be here until Christ is formed in you. John Stott, a pastor and commentator, gave this incredible quote. He said, the church needs people who in listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors who in laboring among the people look for the image of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Like he's saying, when you're listening to preaching, Listen for the message of Christ. And pastors, you'll know that the work is going right when you look out and you see the image of Christ in those that you labor with. By the time he gets to verse number 20, he says he's perplexed. (laughs) That word means he's at his wit's end. He could get his mind around how it could be that those who were formerly slaves of sin and religion, who had been freed by the gospel of Christ, had now willingly gone back into slavery but that's what happens when truth gives way to lies that's what happens when we don't guard the truth that we have so here's a very simple method of making sure that you are protecting yourself and protecting your family against lies creeping in this is one that i've used over the years over and over it's a statement i've shared that is Test what you hear against what God said. Doesn't matter the context. Test what you hear against what God said. God's word is truth. God's word is the standard. If what you hear does not line up with what God has said, reject what you just heard. If what you hear lines up with what God's word said, walk forward in truth. God's word is truth. As a result of this, when people are testing what they hear against what God said, it brings protection for them. It brings protection for their family. It brings protection for their reputation. It brings protection for their walk with God. It keeps them on a path where they're able to continue to learn truth and walk in truth and grow because they didn't get sidelined somewhere along the way because they began to embrace a lie and they didn't know it was a lie. And nobody would tell them it was a lie because they responded poorly in the past when somebody confronted them. Test what you hear against what God said. Everybody okay with that? I'm glad because I don't have anything else other than that tonight. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, may we test what we hear against what your word says. God, help us to walk in truth. And Lord, even in those difficult moments, we're praying, God, that we would respond well. We'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful